Art Reed from the States. And um, Art is a very well-known person among many students and participants on his workshops that he has performed through many, many years here. And welcome to you, Art Reed, and thank you for participating. Okay, thank you. And Art, uh, I mean, uh, when did you actually first come to, to Denmark? I mean, you were one of the first here, if you can even remember that. No, it's, it's hard to remember. I, um, I passed through here several years ago and, and did a did a group and then I also did some things in, in Austria and, and Sweden but um, I don't remember exactly when it's over this one, time. It's over 10 years ago or so. Mm, maybe, but, maybe, but anyway, maybe, eight, yeah. maybe eight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, could you tell the listeners a little bit about your life story, your background, where you came from and I mean how did it all get started back, way back? Um, Okay, well, I was born in Arizona, um, uh, in the mountains, uh, on a Apache Indian reservation, and um, I probably probably came to any kind of a city for the first time when I was uh, about seven years old. And uh, I grew up speaking Spanish, and then uh, when I went to school, I had to learn how to speak English. and. In, 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 in America, that's more, a lot more difficult than here in, in Scandinavia or in, or in Europe for um, you know, speaking different languages. Over there, they have a different attitude towards people who speak different languages and people of different colors and so on. So, um, but then I, I learned uh, how to speak English, mm -hmm. and um, uh, I had a very hard time in school because of it. And uh, my way of seeing things, understanding things based on... Um, the old traditional languages and ways of of, um, uh, of con uh, perceiving things and so on, but um, yeah, in spite in spite of my hard time in school, I I uh, I made it. Mm. <laughs> so, mm. but um, how did you get started on the spiritual path? There must have been some event or what happened. Um, it, it's not a coincidence that you are. Working with these things. No, I, I always feel I was on the spiritual path, even though I, you know, participated, let's say, in in uh, in normal life, and I, I finished university, and I was uh, uh, very deeply in sports, and um, then I became a, a teacher and a uh, sports trainer, mm -hmm. and I always taught my students and 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 uh, trained my athletes more in a, in a in a spiritual way knowing that as long as they were, um, let's say, spiritually or emotionally uh, unhappy, having problems and not working with their stress and dealing them, dealing with them, uh, I could see that they got injured more, they had uh, more illnesses and so on. So I always tried to, to work with them on, in these ways. Hmm. So this was the combination of the, the mind <coughs> and the, the body, the physical mm -hmm. vehicle. That yeah. you saw a uh, mm -hmm. was a, there was a connection. Right. Did you have any spiritual teachers or inspirators, mentors, or I mean, was there some person you met that, uh, in a way, inspired you and catalyzed the process? No, I, I not in not in that sense. The my biggest, oh, let's say the biggest people who I admired the most in those days all happened to be trainers that that I uh, ran for because I was in in uh, distance running, and all of those people had uh, very 
spiritual qualities, even though they they never talked about God or never did any of these things. But they were they always were working on your self respect, your self esteem, your uh, you know truth with yourself, uh, being consequent, being responsible, and in your you know even if they noticed you had problems with your girlfriend at times or your wife when I was when I was married in training, mm -hmm. and so I I everything they said I saw. In, in, in a in a spiritual way, mm. and then when I became a trainer, then I just carried that on because mm. that was always my belief anyway. Mm. I mean, being a distant runner and training distant runners, I mean, this is the physical challenge of breaking this barrier, and um, then you say it was a gradual process that you got more and more into the spiritual dimension, mm -hmm. and so there was this combination, and then it developed like that. Yeah. So there was no, I mean, I mean. Yeah, uh, you have to understand that when when I first came to uh, the city and I first came to to school, I had friends that um, they would see things one way, and I would see it in a totally different way. And for example, if uh, if I was sitting in in class, and I mean this is these are things that that actually happened to me. I was sitting in class, and the teacher was late, and somebody said, "Well, I wonder where the teacher is." And I said, they're going to be late. They had an automobile accident. And five or ten minutes later, another teacher came in and said, uh, Mr. Bauer, happened to be his name, Mr. Bauer's uh, not going to be here today. He had an automobile accident this mm. morning. Mm. And these kinds of things happened to me over and over again. And so later, when I was maybe in high school, I was just, you know, training or something, and one of the... Uh, other runners would come to me and then I'd say, oh, you have problems with your girlfriend and it's this and this or, um, you know, things like that. And it always kind of worked out to be some kind of a healing um, message I got or healing answer that I got for them. Hmm. And yeah. so when I went into training athletes, I was doing the same thing just hmm. by watching the way an athlete would walk onto the field or uh, be putting on his uh, running shoes or something, it just it would just come to me and then I would t talk to him about that so that he could be clear when he was training and not become injured. And hmm. that's... That's how it all started. Yeah, and then, yeah. And then later um, I um, started doing it so much that I realized that I needed to go more into that than into my sports. Hmm. Yeah. What did it mean to you, Art? I know you have three sons to be a father. What I mean, did you learn something from that? <laughs> <laughs> a tricky question. Boy. <laughs> I mean, three sons, that's a lot. Yeah, I learned a lot mm -hmm. from every one of them. Uh -huh. you know, I'm still learning a lot from all of them. Mm. Yeah. Are they also interested in these matters like you? Uh, yes and no. I mean... Um, my oldest son is is uh, very very powerful in these ways, but unfortunately he had taken another path and he had uh, had lots of problems with with uh, the police and things like that mm. and, and drugs and all that. But uh, now he's a father of three and he's working. He's finished with uh, with school and he's he's doing real well. And now he's starting to want to come more into this line. Mm. But I have to. Um, you know, I have to really be clear that he's, 
you know, that he's stabilized and everything before I, you know, would really work with him like that. Mm. My second son is a, um, he's a police officer for uh, Los Angeles, and um, he also is very talented like this, and, but he's, but he's so mental, um, analyzing, very brain-locked in this sense, that um, I think it's going to take a little time, mm. and, and I... I've talked to him about ways that I have um, used my tracking uh, tracking abilities you know, for tracking animals and so on to track people and to track um, things, and um, and he's he's a little interested. He knows he can do it too, but he's you know mm. he's also mm. um, become. I don't know what you want to say. He's become more like a white man. In other words, very brain locked. Mm. Hmm. It appears to me that you have learned a lot from nature. Nature is one of your teachers. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, did you, um, from that point where we left a few minutes ago, did you take any courses or workshops yourself? I mean, um, you are teaching a lot, and is it something that you make yourself, or have you got a little inspired by other people, and what? What happened uh, at the uh, time before you got started as a workshop leader? Yeah, years ago, uh, when I was very unhappy, became very unhappy with the, with the, uh, let's say, all the politics in in uh, training athletes at the university level and and also for different countries, for their their Olympic athletes. Uh, I, I started looking around. You know, I was just like like many people at a certain age. You know, you kind of get unhappy with what you're doing with the the way that you've chosen to go, and then. Uh, I started looking around, and during that time, I took uh, a lot of different courses. But some of them were just, uh, let's say, courses where I could maybe find another profession and um, go into business or something. But some of them were personal growth seminars, mm -hmm. and a lot of those, even though they are in, in America, they're very, um, let's say, psychologically psychological oriented mm. and uh, once again whenever they were talking about doing this or seeing it in this in this psychological way I, I always related either back to um, the old uh, Indian stories or the old Indian beliefs or biblical stories or uh, other other religions and so on which I had most of my life I had always been very interested in and read a lot or studied a lot about other religions mm -hmm. and the Bible and mm -hmm. and all you know all all these kinds of things anyway just as a pastime mm. yeah so I, I always saw their psychological answers mm. let's say as a spiritual answer or yeah. I found the spiritual saying that went along with that mm. <clears throat> do you consider yourself as a religious man when mm. That's the hardest question. Yet. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't say that I find myself as a religious man, but a very spiritual man. Mm -hmm. Meaning that um, of the way in which many religions uh, ha handle or interpret what, what the Bible says, if we're going to talk about Christianity. Mm -hmm. And um, in other words, some of the doctrine that they follow and some of the, some of the methods that they implement and put into practice what they they think the Bible says what they interpret as, the, as uh, what the Bible means. Mm -hmm. And 
this is what, uh, in a lot of cases, I, I, um, I have a problem with, I disagree with. Mm. I think the message is, is, is very clear, and um, uh, I think that it's unfortunate that, um, and I hate to say this, but I think many of the churches in most of the countries where I go um, are not filled with the Holy Spirit and the evidence of that is in the empty chairs inside the church. I feel that the, that the churches are not um, doing the job that my father intended them to do. I feel like the and uh, in, in almost all the stories that you can read in the Bible, it says there's always a uh, man and a woman, or there's a father and a child, or there's parents and child, or there's politicians and um, uh, the citizens of the country. There's kings and and uh, citizens. And when I see all those stories, and I always read that. Um, I put myself in the position, for example, of the woman because in the relationship that, that the people have to the Great Spirit, we are the female aspect. We are the weaker part. We're the part that be, can, can become addicted and, and, and have all these human weaknesses. And when we behave like this woman in the story, then we have to pay the consequences. And I know Danes don't like to hear about paying consequences. True. <clears throat> so, but uh, unfortunately, when you behave in a certain way, you have certain uh, consequences to pay in nature, mm -hmm. uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And so I'd look at that story and i say, well, when I behave rebellious or self-righteous or however it may be, uh, as this woman, that I'm going to have to pay these consequences. And I should be listening to the husband, let's say, in the story, who happens to be symbolical for either God or, or, or the Spirit, however you want to look at it. And by the same token, when I listen to or read the story, let's say, of the child and the father, this is the same, same kind of relationship. When I read the stories about the king and the citizens, this is the same thing. And when you understand that relationship down the line, then you have to understand that the church is the husband. And the people who come to that church, they're the wife or the children. And if <clears throat> the husband does not serve the wife in a spiritual way, which is his duty, and that's spelled out right in the Bible, the husband is the spiritual leader. The husband is the one who's responsible for uh, feeding, giving his wife spiritual food. And if the husband does not do his job, does not feed his wife spiritually, then the wife is going to rebel and run away. Mm -hmm. Then she's going to become this prostitute, like in one of the stories. She's going to go to uh, other men or go to... Um, to go to ha uh, have a hard life. Hmm. And that's, that's the job where I see uh, the churches, or many of the churches, 
falling down. They're not being the husband. And when they're not the husband, just like in the stories in the Bible, the Great Spirit pulls the Holy Spirit away from the husband. And this is, this is where I would like to see the churches open their doors instead of being closed all the time, uh, create programs, seminars, groups, Bible classes, start filling the people with the Holy Spirit again, letting the Holy Spirit flow through them and back into the people. And then it will go, it will flow straight into those people's partnerships, marriages, families, children, and hmm. the spiritual food is missing. Hmm. Yeah. Do you yourself, and uh, in your teaching, do you use uh, ingredients from the Bible, from the Christianity? Do you use the words of the Christ? I would have to say yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you also use, use such a tool as prayer? Um, I would, yeah, I would also have to say yes. I mean, when you, when you talk about the, uh, all the different ways of praying and all the different ways of, of, uh, of um, using the words of the Bible and, and in, in other words, speaking the truth, then I have to say, I have to answer you with yes. I mean, there's there are many different ways of, of praying. Mm. One of which is just, um, you know, the Our Father. But that this is um, a talk that I'll be doing next month in in, in Berlin and also in Vienna mm. uh, about the the deeper meaning of the of the uh, Lord's Prayer mm. and, and all the different um, ways of, of of understanding and using the eight different names of God, for example, and, and all the powers that are in there and each one of the names and how to how to implement those each one of those powers into your life and, and, and so on. Hmm. So yeah. Uh, hmm. so yes, pray, sure. Hmm. And and uh, talk about uh, God and, and uh, But you're mostly attuned to Christianity, I presume. Yeah, mostly attuned to it, yes. But mm -hmm. I, like I say, I've studied a lot of other religions, and I see the similarities in in uh, in, in most of them. Mm -hmm. And yeah. are there any other religion that also uh, attracted you, or to to which you had an affinity that meant a lot to you? Yeah, that meant a lot to me was, of course, the the Jewish religion. Mm -hmm. The um, uh, this you know has always has been a lot to me. I, you know when I when I by the way I went to Bible school so at university I went to Bible school so <laughs> I know mm -hmm. a lot about the Bible from mm -hmm. you know a lot of different uh, mm -hmm. a lot of different aspects and um, uh, I went to school with a lot of different children from different religions and I can talk to you about hours and hours about a lot of different religions which is mm -hmm. yeah. not pertinent here but but um, you know, when I when I look at the Jewish religion, I I feel that it has it has everything there. Sure. And I wish once again, and I, and I don't know a lot about it about this part of it, but I I, I wish that uh, many of the Jewish people would dig deeper and and create an understanding there, just like I would say that I wish a lot of the the other Christian religions, the people would dig deeper and, and, and make the connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament and the, and the, the, the meanings of this and the meanings of that and the symbolic of, 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 of languages 
in, in, in both senses and really make the connection and understand it. Mm. Instead of just reading it like a history book mm. or a law book mm. or a book of doctrine and things like that. Mm. Anyway, I'd read. Um, then way back you got started to teach. I mean, how did this happen? I mean, you know, how did you build it up or how did it got started, your teaching project? You, you, way back? you talking about the teaching? I mean, I, I yeah. graduated university and I was a teacher. I see. Yeah, yeah. and I, I used to teach uh, biology, uh, bilingual biology in both Spanish and English to the Spanish-speaking students that came from Central America and, uh -huh. and Mexico and so on into America. Hmm. And so I used to speak, uh, I mean, uh, teach the bilingual biology and, and sports. Uh -huh. yeah. But then from there, uh, I... Yeah, there must have been a shift to teaching okay. uh, spiritual to, development and... Yes, okay. Um, what you do now. Let's see. I think I would say the the first big thing that that happened was is that uh, about 15 or 16 years ago, the doctors had told my mother that she had cancer mm -hmm. and she was going to die. Mm. And um, I had, oh, a few weeks before that, I had had a dream about it. And it happened to be around Christmas time, so I, I came, uh, drove over to see my parents. It was a long, from a long way. And <clears throat> I, had told, I told my mother about it one night. And, of course, she denied it. And then, uh, but it made her think about it. And she knew she was already sick. Hmm. And I was not supposed to have known about this, by the way. And so then she had a dream a night or two later, and then she came back to me and said, yeah, okay. And we worked on it because I was not going to accept that my mother was going to die at 55. I would consider this a, a, a broken agreement, that she had an agreement to be uh, here with me for a longer time. Hmm. And so we worked on it, and she had a remission of cancer. Okay. So that was my that was the first let's say the first big thing, hmm. and then I uh, was invited to Canada to to uh, do a, a, a seminar on healing, and I and I went there, and a doctor was there hmm. who had a patient who had cancer and had one week to live, hmm. and the doctor invited me over to see this woman, and I did what I call now the, the cancer program, yes. and uh, during that program. I I didn't really know what to do at, at the time, and let's say consciously. So I worked with this woman, and then and and uh, we would take like a after two hours we would take maybe a fifteen minute pause. And I remember I walked to the window every time I walked to the window, and I prayed. <clears throat> and then it came to me what to do. Hmm. Now I mean some people would say God told me what to do, but hmm. it came to me anyway hmm. yeah, what yeah. to do. That's the most important thing. And so then. I write, wrote down some notes and I went back and I did this next exercise and then we took a pause and I went back to the window. And um, so, as I said, my boss kept instructing me on what to do. And that woman had a remission of cancer. Mm -hmm. Within six months there was no cancer in her body when that her doctor had said she only had about one week to live. Mm. So. From there, I came back to Arizona and uh, was talking to some of my friends. And uh, one of my friends' wife was a nurse, and they had a patient. And it was a young girl; she was about 19. And I worked with her, 
she had a remission of cancer. And so this kept going until uh, I met a man from Germany and he invited me to Munich and I was working with him in his seminar, but mm -hmm. I was doing the spiritual part of his seminar. Mm -hmm. And then people asked me to do something, so I said I could do this cancer program. Yeah. And that's how it all started. Ah, just, ah. Yeah, yeah, and then it so, developed. Yeah, it just developed further. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But which, I mean, um, could you just briefly describe the, the causes for cancer in, in general? Are there any common factors which is the cause of cancer? I know this is of interest to many people. I mean, we all see it around in our family, relatives, acquaintances. <coughs> Are there a few pointers? Yeah, I mean, I would... I mean, if you really want to get down to what I would say, really get down to what causes it, I would say that <clears throat> that everybody has traumatic experiences in their life. Everybody loses jobs, fails from school, uh, loses a partnership, or they get a divorce, or children or people or friends die, and, and all these normal traumatic experiences that we have. And so, in the first place, I would say that, that what causes cancer is that the people uh, do not uh, take responsibility for their part in these situations. In other words, they they don't tell themselves the truth. Mm -hmm. uh, it may go so far as to say that they lie to themselves or to others about their responsibility in those situations. And the moment that they do that, the moment that they that they lie or uh, are not honest with themselves, tell themselves stories, which we all have, you know, which we all are accustomed to doing. We we tell ourselves a story which allows us to behave. In, in a different kind of way. Mm. The moment that we do that, we start creating uh, physical physical changes in our body, physical stresses, blocks, and so on. Mm. And this is once again what I, you know, what is called a consequence. You know, like I said before, the mm. Danes don't like to hear that, but when you are not honest with yourself about let's say losing your job or having a divorce when you're not honest and you tell yourself a little story then you have physical consequences mm -hmm. and that can be proved in the physical world if there are any scientists who are living who are listening out there that's the that is the that is the um, that's what the lie detector is based on by the way we know that when you lie you make physical changes in your eyes your breathing rate your skin, your your uh, heart palpitations, your uh, you begin to perspire more, and so on. And if you are in a constant state of stress, because for the last two or three years you have not been honest with yourself about your divorce, and on top of that, losing your job, and on top of that. You know all mm. these all these normal stresses in life. Yeah. You begin to compound the 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 stress levels, the the stress factor, and uh, then the then the the next consequence that a person has to pay is that they begin to to um, have certain feelings connected to the stories they tell themselves. In other words, most people would go into a feeling of rejection. Okay, and then uh, they would sink deeper, usually into a feeling of, of resentment, mm -hmm. and then usually into bitterness. 
and uh, then it could could be that they reach some kind of a stage of, of feeling helpless or hopeless. And, you know, by this time you're talking about emotional body, physical body, and then finally, finally you're, you're talking about your, your spiritual body. And when your spiritual body gives up, then uh, all your, your life support systems could shut down, and then it's easy to die. It's easy to create death. Mm. That's... That's mm. basically how I would see it. Mm. But do you think there's a deeper, profounder meaning when people get an illness, a disease? Do you think that there's a lesson they shall learn? If they survive, of course. Yeah, I mean, how, how much profound can you get than to say, don't lie to yourself and tell yourself the truth? Mm. How much more profound can you get than to say, uh, stop giving away responsibility and take responsibility? How much more profound can you get than saying, uh, stop blaming your problems on someone else? Mm. I mean, that's what, that, all this that I've been talking to you about comes from the very first story in the Bible. Mm. When God came back into the garden and asked Adam and Eve, where are you? He was meaning, what is your, uh, what is, is, um, your attitude toward the agreement that you and I have. And what did Eve say? She pointed her finger at the, at the shlanga, at the snake, and said, he did it. Hmm. He tricked me. She was giving away responsibility. Hmm. And in the, next, in the next, few, next few lines, you find out the consequences that we have to pay when we do that. That's, that's all right there. Hmm. And Adam, the spiritual part, he could have saved her, but instead he joins her. So, number one, giving away responsibility, and number two, becoming self-righteous about it, to me is, how much more profound can you, hmm. yeah. can you but, get? But, okay, okay, then a person falls into the trap of self-pity, of blaming others and not taking responsibility. And then the next point is, of course, how to show these people a mirror reflection of their life. How is that possible? How is that to be done? Uh, because oh. there is a tendency to repress it and, you know, yeah. wield the truth and put it under the carpet. <clears throat> I mean, you're, you're, you're asking me to answer a question that people have been asking themselves for more than 4,000 years as we know it. <laughs> I mean, this is what Moses was trying to do. Mm. This is what Jesus was trying to do. This is, I mean, people are people. Yeah. Okay. And the natural thing is to turn their back on themselves and on their life and so on. That's the natural thing. Mm -hmm. Moses, Jesus and, and, and Paulos and these other people, they were they were talking about the supernatural thing to do. But we're 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 human and the human part of us, you have to understand, is um, is weak in many ways, mm. and and one thing is we are we we are habitual. That meaning, what I mean is, is that if we know that if you took any person and put them into any kind of an institution, old folks' home, prison, uh, school, anything, that this that this person will become institutionalized in a very few months. 
Yeah. They will give away all their power, and they will uh, uh, allow other people tell, to tell them, this is when you get up, this is where you shower, this is how you do this, and mm -hmm. this is where you eat, and this is when the bell rings, you go to lunch, and so on. Mm -hmm. And every child who's born into this world looks at his parents, looks at the family, looks at the, the surroundings that they have been provided, and they become institutionalized. And if their parents are not honest, if their parents are blaming, if their parents are uh, irresponsible people, if their parents are natural people and not supernatural people, the child will emulate it immediately. The child will be a person who's not honest, who doesn't want to be responsible, and so on. Hmm. And then they go out onto the street and they see a whole city, a whole country, and a whole world just exactly like that. And on top of that, they see all their leaders, and I'm talking about parents, teachers, politicians. Mm. They see exactly the same thing there, and it's a joke. It's so much of a joke that I heard that you just you just elected in one of your little towns over here a, a comedian to the uh, parliament. Yeah, this is a very symbolically <laughs> true. Art, read. Um, how much emphasis do we put on the healing power of nature? Working with, for example, cancer patients and sick people, the healing power of nature. Well, actually, I put a, I put a lot of emphasis in it. I put a lot of. Um, of uh, importance in it because what I think and, and statistics will prove this the more industrialized a country becomes the uh, the higher the cancer rate goes so um, I think that this is just another consequence that humanity has to pay when they become uh, industrialized when they uh, move away from nature move into the city um, and and all the you know, all the kinds of things that we depend on, television, uh, radio, um, you know, all the, all, the, all the technical things that we, that we use now, instead of being out in nature and uh, talking to the flowers, talking to the animals, uh, being near the animals and the, and the plants and, uh, and, and this sort of thing. Hmm. Do you also emphasize uh, discipline in building up a new healthy life? How important is discipline concerning food, concerning habits, concerning this and that? How important is discipline? Mm -hmm. Discipline is the most important thing. That's how important it is. Yeah. Once again, if you, for the Jewish people, if you read the Old Testament, discipline is what Moses was trying to get all the people to do. It's all about discipline. Jesus was trying to get the people to be disciplined. Paulus was trying to, he was writing all these letters to people to be disciplined. The whole Bible is about God trying to get the people to discipline themselves to be more spiritual instead of being more human. Instead of going into their soulish human ways to, to discipline their their soulish part to become more spiritual and thereby saving their soul. 
Mm. Discipline is everything. Mm. I know this is also another word that the Danes don't like to hear, yes. but it's all about disciplining yourself. Anything that you reach, I don't care what it is. A chess master only does it because he disciplines himself to sit down and study move by move and, and, and all these kind of things. Mm. A sportsman only does it because they discipline themselves mm. or they subject themselves to someone else's discipline. The trainer tells them, you run this and you do this and you do this. Mm. It, it doesn't have to be uh, a bad thing. We, we see it now in the world as bad, you know, but but discipline is actually a good thing. Mm -hmm. And when we when we discipline ourselves to to behave in a certain way and to think in a certain way and, and, and so on, the rewards become also become addictive. And then we like to think clearly. We like to talk in a clear way. We like to feel good. We like to feel creative. We like to uh, to feel like uh, we have hope and faith and so on. We can we can actually become addicted to that. Mm. And then when we are that way, we walk down the street or we sit in our office, and all these pessimistic, negative speaking, uh, hopeless people who surround us, walking down your walking street over here, are kind of repulsive. Mm. Um. How important is the building up of thought forms to improve your life? How much emphasis do you put upon thought forms, belief systems? <laughs> Once again, hmm? <clears throat> disciplining yourself to have the proper thoughts. That's what the whole Bible is about. Mm -hmm. Because in the old days, the people used to know about the enemy, okay? And the enemy is spoken about in many different forms, in many different languages, many different religions, even my people's, my people's religion, my people's language. The enemy is always the same, okay? If you're talking about on one level, it's one kind of an enemy. For example, um, Maybe the enemy to your health is illness, okay? But that starts somewhere. And <clears throat> um, uh, if you're talking about enemy to your on your emotional level, then it's all the all the bad feelings, sadness and rejection and so on. Mm -hmm. Now, in the old days, the people knew that the enemy lives under the water. The enemy walks on the earth, but the enemy attacks in the air. Symbolically speaking, that means that the enemy attacks you in your, uh, in your, in your thoughts, lives deep in your emotions, has power of your emotions, and the consequences you pay on your physical body. Mm -hmm. So if you do not discipline yourself to have positive thoughts, spiritual thoughts, truthful thoughts, then your emotions, with all the power of your emotional body, are going to create illness in your physical body. Mm -hmm. All you have to do 
is read the letters of Paulos, and Paulos is training people in the first four in the first four uh, letters. He's talking about a a a um, reprogramming of your mind. Yeah. That that is a mental a mental um, outline for how to reprogram your mind. Hmm. So discipline. Hmm. Uh, and 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 proper thoughts are a few of the, a couple of the most important things that you have to do hmm. if you want to become spiritual, hmm. if you want to become healthy, and so hmm. on. Hmm. So, would you even go so far to say that when we have overcome our comfortability, comfortability, laziness, that it is hard work? It's a hard work. The spiritual path. You know, once again. <clears throat> Anything that you that you start out to do is going to be hard in the beginning. But when you start challenging yourself and you see it as a challenge, and then you start setting little goals for yourself and you and you you reach the goal and you feel a little bit better, your self-esteem grows, uh, and, and you keep doing that. Pretty soon, it becomes easy. And once it starts getting easy, then then uh, you you want more of it, and you you see more growth. Then it then it's easy. But anything you try to change in the beginning is is hard. Mm. You mentioned yourself self esteem. How important is that to build up your self reliance, your self esteem, your self respect? Is that an an ultimate factor in the path? Uh, yes, I mean, <clears throat> in that. You know, when I when I say self, I I probably mean it a lot differently than than uh, the natural people in the world would see it. To me, uh, self-esteem is it's not about selfishness and it's not about uh, naturalness. Okay, it's not about. Uh, uh, Allowing myself to become weaker, allowing myself to become more self-righteous or more more rebellious, and all this kind of thing. And unfortunately, I see that a lot in the world. Okay, people will tell their partner, for example, "I'll be true," or they tell their child, "I'll I'll do this with you," and so on. And then later, they decide to do something selfish, something for themselves, and the story that they have to tell themselves, you know, is is something else. But you know, when you I, I say that when you build up self-esteem is when you create spiritual goals in your partnership, in your family, in your body, in your in your mind, and so on. You set up spiritual goals and you move toward reaching them. That's real self-esteem to me. Hmm. Tell me, Arvid, on the spiritual path, are there any compromises? Do we have to compromise, which we often have a tendency to do, not to hurt this person and not to offend that person? I mean, is compromise to be avoided? Once again, mm -hmm. these are all questions. I mean, if you want to talk about having a schlapp, world, if you can allow me to speak a little German, if you want to talk about having a schlapp world mm -hmm. and a schlapp marriage and a schlapp family, 
and a schlop body and so on, then the lie you have to tell yourself is compromise. Mm. You understand what I'm saying? Yes, yes, yes. I got the point. But if you <laughs> hold yourself to truth, mm. then you don't compromise and tell yourself that it's okay to sleep with somebody else's partner because your wife doesn't this and your children that. Or it's, then the compromise, the compromise is what um, destroys you. Mm. Okay? I mean, I'm talking about it in, in these strict terms. When, I'm, when, when we're talking about what we're talking about here, I think, today, then it's the compromise that is, in other words, it's the lie you tell yourself that allows you not to keep your agreement with your children, not to keep your agreement with your partner, not to keep your agreement with your body, and, and so on, the compromise. Mm -hmm. But uh, it, it's holding to, your, to what you have uh, agreed upon to do in terms of keeping your mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual health and keeping you on this road. Yeah. I'm, I'm answering that question. Yes. I could answer you, you know, about other compromises. You know, if naturally, if you come together with a uh, with a partner, if you come together with a with a woman, and she believes this and you believe that, and what you may compromise on could be a, could be another thing, but hopefully, it's going to be the compromise is going to be leading you toward spiritual growth because she's more spiritual than you are and you're going to have to compromise and drop some of your addictions, let's say, and discipline yourself more to make a spiritual marriage. Hmm. Is that what you mean? Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, um, do you think, for example... I, I knew that's what you meant. <laughs> do you think compromising is the reason for all this friction that is between the two, the two sexes, the two genders, between men and women. I mean, which seems to be increasing. It's difficult to get relationship <coughs> working. Marriages is breaking up, divorces. What do, what do you think is the basic reason for this these days? You, you, you must have seen it around. You get a lot, a lot around the world. So, And you must meet this problematic sometimes. Do I think compromise is what it is? That could be uh, other reason, of course. Yeah, uh, I mean, okay. The, if, whole, if, the whole yin yang dynamic. Yeah, if I if I want to answer it from compromise, then I would have to say yes, because, um, I mean, I can answer this question in, in two or three different ways, but I'll, I'll talk about compromise. Uh, okay, yes, from the point of view that I would say that <clears throat> um, every woman, without a doubt, without a doubt, ladies, I'm telling you compromises. Why? Because they're human. Because that's a human thing to do. That doesn't make it right. And every man compromises. Okay? In other words, it basically says in the Bible, once again, that part of our human nature is that we're lazy. And we would rather take the comfortable, easy, way. And so therefore we're compromising the spiritual way with the human way. And so because of that, when we come into, into relationships, we, have, we are habitual compromisers. And rather than 
than confront honestly the problems in ourself or in the in the marriage or in the relationship will compromise and the, the situation will just get worse and worse and worse hmm. so in in that way i could say yes you know that that this happens to be uh, a big thing but now i'd really like to answer your question yes i feel that that there is a there's a guidebook there's a workbook there are guidelines in this in this workbook that spell out exactly how to transform yourself your selfishness your soulishness into becoming a spiritual woman there are guidelines exactly how to transform your selfishness your soulishness into becoming a spiritual man and then how this spiritual man and this spiritual woman can come together and create a spiritual marriage and there are the same guidelines on how then to create a spiritual child so that you can create a spiritual family it's all it's all right there all you have to do is read it and then implement it into your life unfortunately people are so lazy that they don't read it and they don't implement it they don't discipline themselves to, to doing that and so what we end up with is very very few spiritual men and women in the world therefore we have very few spiritual marriages in the world therefore we have very few spiritual um, families in the world and all you have to do is read in the Old Testament is just read the the um, uh, the story of of uh, Abraham and Sarah and then you find out if you don't do that what kind of a relationship you'll have and what kind of ch children you put out into the world and so on mm -hmm. This is the problem, the mm. pro as, as I see it. Mm. It's problematic. People don't discipline themselves with the truth to become more spiritual men and women. And what you end up with is compromise. And you end up with um, rebellious women and rebellious men who are both full of scars from past experiences and uh, and, the, and they don't want to they don't want to give in they're self-righteous and stubborn no wonder they have tr uh, problems trying to to get together and um, give in to each other surrender to each other when they have all this all this scar tissue in between <clears throat> Do you think basically the, the spiritual path for men and the spiritual path for women are different, or is it the same? I mean, there are some differences between the two sexes, obviously, but the spiritual path, is it the same for both sexes and genders? I would say that the, <clears throat> that the goal is the same goal. I would say that, uh, that the path 
is different, but the goal is the same. And uh, because we're physiologically different, the, the physical path is different. Because we're psychologically different, the psychological path is different, and so on. But, uh, but the goal is the same. The goal is designed for, for us both, male and female, to reach the same place. But because, um, we're, because of our differences, we, I, I say that, that, that the path is different, and we have different things to learn. Different mm. in a in a different way, mm. and we have a lot of same things to learn. But we we're gonna we're going to see it from from different sides. But we still have the same thing to learn. Mm. It seems when you look around that the women are a few steps ahead of men. Um, I mean, are there more women on your workshops, or are there equal quantities? Or um, and to get back to the first question, do you think women are a big a few steps? ahead of men in the spiritual development. I mean, they have greater access to to intuition, to, to um, compassion and so on. Um. Are the men lost behind or, I mean, what's... Mm. You know, that there are more, there are more women who have been coming to the groups in the past The numbers are seeming to uh, to equalize more yeah. now, but yeah. still, but still, there's there's more women. Mm -hmm. um, I think the women are probably more open to this earlier. I think society has um, well, we we've created a society where it's a lot more, let's say, it's a lot more okay for women to to do these things than it is for men, and um, so I think in in that way. Um, Women are first to the line. Mm -hmm. As far as being ahead, um, yep. I, I, the reason I say that I'm, I'm hesitating is because, as far as being ahead, it, it's hard for me to say because, you know, I think about different cultures now. I think about De Denmark and I think about Germany. I think about uh, America and so on, and. In in that way, you know, you have you have people. Let me just use it this way. This could be men or women, but I'm going to put it in this way. Mm -hmm. Where I come from, the the boys go into sports and so on, and they learn about responsibility. They learn about what happens when you don't keep your responsibility, and and so on. And a lot of the girls are brought up in a different way. And so then we then we go to we get older and we go to work and we, we have children and we have families. And the men, even though they don't seem to be as spiritual in this way, they they know a lot about responsibility. They know a lot about these kind of things. So when the man comes to the group and I'm talking about these kind of things They relate it real quickly to their sports teams, military, um, you know, job, the um, uh, chain of command, you know, all these kinds of things. Where a lot of the women have had different kinds of experiences, and it's harder. A lot of it's harder to to get it. So, I mean, 
I see there, there are more women there and they're more open to it, yes. But yeah. in the end effect, um, in the end effect, it's kind of hard to, to say. Mm. Uh, do you travel a lot and you teach in different countries, for example, Germany, Denmark, I suppose also the States. But um, do you notice any differences between the nationalities, the countries? And, and in what, in that, in, if so, then what is the difference? Yeah. I, I, I you, see. You, can, you may say it diplomatic, of course. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say it diplomatically. <clears throat> That's the problem. Um, yeah, it's it's unbelievable how great of a of a of a, of a change in mental sets there are uh, in a few kilometers of distance. Yes, and that this means from uh, Austria to Germany, from Germany to to Denmark, from Denmark to Sweden, and so on, and from America to to um, to um, Canada, mm -hmm. and from America to Mexico, and <clears throat> there there are. Giant differences in in just these few kilometers, mm. and boy, how would I describe them? Um, based on the language, I think it's all uh, a big part of it is based on our language. For example, as I told you, I started speaking Spanish first, and mm. and uh, the Spanish people speak a uh, I'm not, not the Mexican people. I'm not, I'm not too sure about the Spanish people, but the Mexican people mm -hmm. speak a type of, of of Spanish that is rooted in the emotions. It's rooted in giving their power away to other people. It is rooted in um, yeah, other things or other people having power. And them not. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, then, when you let's say when you get to America, the the language was, and it seems to be changing a lot lately. Um, the the language was more that I have the power. That I'm the one who creates. I'm the one who's responsible. You you hear people talking a lot more in the in the I am, I am doing this. I'm going here. I am. I am. Okay, mm -hmm. and uh, then when you get to Germany, their their language, as I see it, seems to be a lot more, <clears throat> a lot more analyzing, and uh, a lot more structured in a way that sends their consciousness up into their up into their mind, and about thinking about things, analyzing things, looking for little differences that's a nice way of saying criticizing everything um, uh, showing how intelligent they are by by um, picking everything apart by analyzing it by debating it and so on oh by making everything wrong and then I come to Denmark I know that's what you've been waiting to hear. Yes, sir. <clears throat> Indeed. <laughs> and it seems like 
the people in Denmark who I've, who I've come in contact with, who come to the seminars and so on, they're, it's like they come with an attitude and talk and have a mental set about coming to the, coming to the seminar and having me do it to them. In other words, uh, the Germans would come to the group and say, here I am, Let, let's start the group, let's start working. Mm -hmm. And the Danes would come in and say, here I am, you can clear me now. <laughs> and, and I just, and I, I sit there at that time and I think, man, if this is the way you are in your marriage, if this is the way you are on the job, if this is the way you are in your highly responsible position as a parent, it makes me work hard in the group. Hmm. We have that very high rate of suicides here in Denmark. This could be some of the reasons for it, I don't know. But one of the characteristics of a nationality is the way they look upon humor. Are there, for example, a difference between the German humor and the Danish humor? I know you are a very humoristic man and you emphasize very much humor and laughing. So are there, for example, a difference there between these two countries? Do you use other jokes in these two countries? Yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> Boy. Let me talk to you about my people. <laughs> <clears throat> One thing I notice is, is that, for example, that, that, that my people's jokes Uh, even though they're about you, okay? Even though they're about another person. The jokes have a lot to do with nature, have a lot to do with animals, have a lot to do with uh, with people and in connection to um, uh, the river or the, the tree or the animal or things like that. But, but, the, but the meaning is still the same, okay? But it's a it's a joke about a person, whereas um, I think a lot of the lot more of the jokes and in, in, in the humor and so on in some of these more sophisticated and more uh, industrialized countries and so on is away from that and has more to do with um, technology and, and and things like this and. Uh, But on, on the other hand, it doesn't matter to me if if it if it's humorous and it gets a point across. Then to me, it's fine. Mm. It's, but but I do see a difference in the, in the you know different kinds of of, mm. of humor. Mm. As we started with to say, uh, you have been around here in Copenhagen, in Denmark, for many many years, and you have attracted a great number of participants. I mean, actually, the greatest number, the greatest quantity ever, without any advertising or announcement or, I mean, you know, um, how would you explain that? Is this the law of affinity? I mean, it's quite amazing. Let me go back to what I said to you earlier. My boss has promised in his book that no matter how hard the enemy attacks his children, he will always raise standards 
meaning he will always raise people to a higher level that stand on his word. And he supports those people. And he will fill the others with the Holy Spirit. I don't need to advertise. I have, I, I have the biggest advertising agent in the universe working for me. <laughs> and that's one thing that I have, I committed myself to, to the, to the point that as long as I work for my boss and I'm uh, speaking his words and the Holy Spirit is flowing through me, the people will come. The participants will get it and they'll send their friends. And the moment that that does not happen, then I know that I have to look at myself, not the advertising agent, not the organizer, not the, the people who came to the group. I have to look at myself. That's, that's the, the commitment I made. Mm -hmm. And when it's time for me to quit, I'll know it. When it's time for me to, to go into a different direction or into a different country or or whatever, I'll know it. I'll get the feedback from the universe. I'll get the feedback from the boss. Hmm. I'll know that it's time to time to quit. Art, Reid, my impression of you is that you are a man of passion, a man who lives an intense life. Is this part of your teaching to enjoy life, to take part in life, to involve yourself? And how do you promote that? Uh, yes, it's it's a part of my teaching. That means the teaching I received and the and the teaching that I give. Mm -hmm. It's um, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> if 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 you uh, create new habits in the group and and after the group by implementing the things in your life, you you know you would have to live uh, a lot more intensely. Mm. Intensely, mm. because you're gonna, you're gonna be challenging yourself at all times to discipline your thoughts, to, to to discipline your behaviors, and and to be more involved in your partnership, more involved in your family, more involved in your your uh, in your work, more involved in your own creativity, because you're gonna see the the the, the rewards that you get from being res taking responsibility. For yourself, mm. instead of being a um, a, a uh, victim of society and and uh, the job and mm. and so on, and then comes by itself the joy yes, of life. Yes, sure. Yeah. So that you, in the end, can celebrate life each moment. Yeah, I mean, moment. it's it goes against it goes against nature. It goes against your your natural beingness to hang around in your flat waiting for someone to come and find you to give you a job to give you something to do or someone to make you happy or your partner to come home and guess and read your mind about what you need and that that that's all that all goes against nature hmm. so the time of the sleeping beauties are over definitely <laughs> anyway um, hopefully yeah And I, I mean, then 
one could say the goal is to improve the life quality. I mean, do you see in general that the life quality of your students, of your participants, are increasing after? Yes, many of them. Of course, only the ones who, only the ones who uh, decide to do that. Mm. I mean, yeah. there there are people who come to the seminar because uh, their friends have done it and it's the in thing to do. Uh, but with no intention of actually implementing the things in their life, not making any changes. Mm. And there's, you know, there's nothing I can do or you can do or anybody else can do about that. They, mm. you know, it's, that's also life. Yeah. You know? Mm. One important thing is, I mean, to keep up an attitude of gratitude, uh, not to take everything for granted. And I mean, you have brought up three sons. So, I mean... You have met it there, this aspect, perhaps, and among your students and so on. How much emphasis do you put upon gratitude to appreciate life? You mean in the groups or in, in general? In general. In Both general. In your personal I mean, element in the groups. Yeah. This, by the way, this is another difference that I've noticed that, uh, like with my people, you know, it's like everything is appreciated. And it's real hard for me, for example, to come to countries, come to places where so many things are just taken for granted. And it's real hard, uh, for example, for me to um, come into a place, any place, and, and, and have people come in there and start um, telling me how I should run the group and what I should do and how... Uh, the room doesn't have enough light and the room doesn't have enough uh, ventilation and how this door should be closed and, and so on. And, um, I mean, I find a lot, that a lot more in Germany than in Denmark, of course. <laughs> But, <clears throat> you know, uh, some societies have been raised so that, that the way that they show how intelligent they are is how much they can um, criticize things. And to my people, it's, it's totally different. We show how intelligent we are by appreciating and accepting whatever the other person has and whatever they have to give us, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, potato soup or or uh, a steak or something, and and so on. So it's it's more in us to appreciate what we have and what the others have, and and and. Uh, to appreciate the time that we have together and so on, and not waste our time meeting at a coffee shop and uh, complaining about our husbands and our wives and our jobs and, and our politicians and so on. So I, I know that's a totally different way of of seeing things, but... Uh, mm -hmm. Also, um, I mean, talking about traps on the spiritual path, I mean, one, one of course, should, should live an intense life and you know, passionate and enjoy life and celebrate life. But, I mean, there's also the, the, the danger or risk of getting trapped into this. So the life becomes a drama. I mean, how to overcome yeah. that? Once again, this is, you know, over the years, you read all these, or I have read many of these, these, these books where people use key phrases like that, you know, celebrate life and all this. And unfortunately, a lot of the people who read those books, um, well, let's say it would be nicer if they were a little bit more insightful or 
maybe even intelligent would be the right word to use. That means that they look at some of these uh, sayings and they use that as their excuse to tell their partner that they're not happy, they're not celebrating life, and they want to go somewhere else and do something else. In mm -hmm. other words, they want to leave their partner, or they want to leave their family, they want to leave their job, and so on. And that is not at all the, uh, the meaning that I get from it. When I see celebrating life, then I say, well, how can I celebrate my life inside my agreements with my partner, inside my agreements with my children? How can I do, uh, do all these things that lead me into having a more spiritual partnership, a more spiritual family, a more spiritual uh, life myself? And that is the meaning of, of celebration mm -hmm. to me, yeah. not going over here and seeing how many other people's partners you can sleep with, not going over here and, and seeing how much uh, alcohol you can drink and drugs you can take mm. and, and, and all these kinds of things. Mm. That is not a celebration to me. Mm. I, so, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, what I, that's the way that I see it. It's celebration in, in keeping my, my spiritual growth going. And when you do that, you're going you're gonna, to uh, reach levels of, of, of um, uh, creativity and levels of, of, of what do you call it, uh, intensity and so on that you, mm -hmm. can, that you never imagined. Mm -hmm. But people don't want to go through the discipline of it. They want to, they're schlapp and they want to take the easy way out. Mm -hmm. When you look <clears throat> back during the years, um, are there different from... People starting working with themselves way back when you got started on this teaching, and I mean, do they have other goals now, or what's the difference from that time and now? Are they more eager to work with themselves now, or? Well, it's you know, years ago. The people were, um, let's say, much more resistant and much more rebellious and much more, they had a lot more in energy and intensity. But the good news is, is that when you took all that energy and you flipped it around and, you, and, and they, they saw a positive direction to put it into, it was great. They made big jumps. Mm -hmm. And I think now... People have read so many books and they've uh, watched so many programs and done so much that in a way, a lot of the people just come there to check it out. Mm -hmm. But it's not that they're so rebellious to, I mean, to what's going on and to looking at themselves and, and resistant and so on. But this is a new challenge. This is a totally different challenge. They. They've read it all, they've heard it all, they've done all this and so on, but um, a lot of them don't want to do anything with it. They just like to hear it again. Mm -hmm. They just like to check it out to say, yeah, that's, that's what I already read. So that's a different challenge. So um, then when, we, when, I, 
when we work with them in a, in a different kind of way, and then they get it, they also make make moves too. But it's it's just a different different kind of a situation. Mm. So, mm. Do, do you feel that the momentum, the, the the speed, the acceleration is being raised these times compared to just ten years ago? Is it all speeded up now? Is there a greater tension which is pulsating? An urgency to move forward. Well, I, w I would like to think so, but you know, <clears throat> when uh, people are surrounded more and more with uh, war and um, catastrophes and and uh, plagues and illnesses and and all these different kinds of things, uh, you, you I, I find a one group of people who are moving more towards the urgency of doing something and then then I see a lot more people in the world giving up. Mm -hmm. And that's so if you're talking about people in the groups or if you're talking about what I see in life then I I have two different you know two different answers for you but um yeah a lot of people who come to the group they they see the urgency they see that we have to do something and and uh, speed it up speed it up. Mm -hmm. I wish a lot more politicians would come to the group. Seriously, I, I know, I know, I make a lot of jokes about politicians, but um, I, th I think I can stop now that my friend from Aarhus is is uh, in in the parliament. Now he'll take over for me. But um, <laughs> but <clears throat> I wish a lot more politicians would come. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe they will one day. Anyway, when you look around and see all the the new age stuff, um, the new age movement, and you are you're kind of a experienced veteran in this field. Uh, how do you look upon this development? I mean, when you look around in this supermarket, I mean, blossoming up everywhere. Well, I think you call it the right thing. It's a supermarket. Mm -hmm. That's that's my feeling. It's a, it's a supermarket. And meaning that <clears throat> when I go to the supermarket, there are um, things that I like to eat and things that I don't like to eat. There are things that agree with my system and things that don't agree with my system. And, uh, you know, maybe I can put it like this. In Berlin, there are more channelers than there are TV stations. <laughs> you can understand what that means. <laughs> There are only a certain percentage of the people that my father gives the gift of uh, um, channeling. No, okay. gift of channeling. No, I'm sorry. The gift of prophecy. Prophecy, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The gift of channeling. I never heard of that before. <laughs> But there are only so many people that my father gives the gift of, of prophecy to. Mm. And uh, it is definitely. Well, unless, unless of course, it's a coincidence, and the people who've done the group know what I think about that. Maybe it's just a coincidence that all, all the prophets live in Berlin. But I've heard that there are quite a few channelers here in Denmark as well. Yes, yes. And um, so, you know, I, I would have to take a look at what their point of view is and where they're coming from and, and all this. and. And uh, you know when when anybody 
I don't care whether you're reading uh, cards or pickup sticks or uh, dominoes. I don't care what you read, tea leaves or, or anything. Mm. I don't care what if you bring in, uh, if you channel in people from the UFOs like they do in Berlin or channel in Ramtha or Wuhupti from, from outer space or from Atlantis, you know. Mm. If you say one word that goes against what my father says, mm -hmm. you're channeling in the enemy. True. If you're channeling in one word that says, that tells your client that it's okay to divorce their partner, that's the enemy. That's not my boss. If you're channeling in one word that says it's okay to break their agreements with their children, you are working for the enemy, not my boss. And so that is how I determine it. And I know there's lots of people who work for the enemy out there. Yes, sure. Under the name of New Age and giving their people all kinds of, of advice that would break their agreements and lead them not in a spiritual path. Hmm. But of course, we have to compromise. But moving around in this jungle of supermarket offerings and channels and so on, I mean, one has to really use one's powers of discrimination, of discernment. Do you, which <coughs> advices could you give? to have a sharp discrimination, a sharp discernment. Because, I mean, you must be confronted with this issue, meeting so many people. Which advice would you give to keep up the quality level and discrimination, so you don't get lost in these traps of illusions? I, I ask, do you have any advices uh, how to keep one's discrimination, how to to keep the discern, how to discern, how to see through this jungle of you know bullshit around. Mm -hmm. do, do you give any advices oh, okay. to the listeners and to your students? Uh, yeah, there are. Once again, there are exact guidelines for you to become a uh, more and more sensitive um, person, or you know, for you to develop your sense of discernment greater. Okay, this is one of the things that the Holy Spirit brings. This is one of the greatest abilities that the Holy Spirit brings. But people, people, uh, they don't appreciate this. Here we go again. They don't appreciate this tool. And the, the way to, to sharpen this tool and to become more and more sensitive, of course, is to fill yourself with the Word. To know what God's laws are. To know what how the universe functions, to understand how, how people work, how, uh, what, what brings us into more health, into more spirituality, into, into more happiness, understand what the truth is, and, and so on. Not the truth you see out there in the world, but the boss's truth. When you, when you fill yourself with that and you understand that, then it's easy to discern. And then people coming over here to you and say, You, you should do this, uh, well, if your boyfriend does that or something, well, then you should do this, or if your child, then you should do that, and, and, and you'll know right away that's, that's not spiritual. That is not a spiritual answer. That is not a spiritual way to go. That's not how to handle the problem. Hmm. So 
unfortunate, like once again, if the people would commit themselves and discipline themselves and overcome their, their laziness and learn and read and, and search and so on, then, then it would be easy. Mm. Then half of this, or 90% of the things that you see out there in the world, you could discern is not spiritual. Mm. And I propose better, let's see, uh, one thing is being on a workshop, could be with you or anybody else, and then you are getting a lot of inspiration and stimulus and um, you're being, you have reloaded your spittle batteries and then you get back to everyday life. And you know, there's a tendency to slip away from it, to, to forget it in a way. But how, how, how to keep up the magic and mystery, the spirituality in daily life? Um, do you, for example, give your participants some tools to keep it up, to keep the sacred flame burning in their hearts? Yes, I think I give them, I give them many tools. Once again, whether they use it or not is, is up to them. But, <clears throat> you know, one of the, some of the tools, for example, uh, are that, or you know, yeah, some of the tools, one of the tools that I'll talk about is that it's, it's ways of, of uh, understanding and seeing things. Another way is that how to implement the things in their life. Step-by-step uh, -step things of what to do in the beginning. And, and all these things are simply to, to uh, give a person a chance to start creating the habit. If they go out there and do those things, then they, then they start creating the habit to behaving this way, thinking this way, seeing this way, start to change things. And of course, you know, another real big thing is I tell them to, to get together with other people so that they can they can keep it alive, support each other. Because, you know, they, you go out on the street and, and all you have to do is sit in the coffee shop and you hear all these people who are, once again, complaining about their partners, their children, their, their bosses, their politicians, their country, and, um, and everything. And you can get diluted real, real fast if you're not strong. But once you, once you become strong, then it's, you know, then it's easier. Mm. Surely you have seen a lot of transformations happening in people to the betterment of their life. When you see a person totally transformed after taking your workshop and courses, how do you, how do you feel inside your heart, your heart, heart, read? Well, That would be hard. That would be hard to. Oh, that would be hard to put into words because. Um, you know, the way that I see it is is that people are in the habit of going around here, going around town, and saying that. Uh, uh, let's say agreeing with another person that um, I'm worthless. And the other person would say, "Yeah," and, and I'm weak, and they both they have kind of a relationship built on that, let's say, or, or in other words, they 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 support each other's weaknesses and negativenesses, and <clears throat> uh, that's not my job. So when you come to the group, no, that's not my job. My job is not to buy all your little programs that. Uh, that you've been used to selling on the street. I'm not Danish on top of it, I want you to know that. So when I actually see people change 
and many of them change to the to the extent that their cancer goes away, or their asthma goes away, or or uh, like in like in Germany, um, we had a couple women. Their eyesight came back in one of their eyes, and uh, a man who was totally deaf, he began to hear again. When I see that, there's no way for me to explain it. I I know I've done my job. Hmm. I know that they begin to they came back to the truth. They they heard the truth. Mm. They worked on themselves. Mm. They took responsibility. I I did my job, but there's no way for me to explain mm. how I feel. Mm. But is that in a way the deeper reason for you to continue these workshops? To I mean to I mean, you do use a lot of time, resources, and energy, and do you feel a call inside to do it? Yeah, that's that's it. Mm. I mean that's that's why I'm doing it. Mm. I have an agreement with my boss. Mm. He called me. I do it. Going back to your workshops, um, I suppose you have some kind of a goal or a purpose that there should be a certain outcome for the participants. Could you shortly explain it? Uh, we have dealt with it before, but um, to, is it to improve the life quality, the, the spiritual potential, or simply the lives? Do you have any intentions? Well, that... My intentions, boy. I mean, if the inner motive is to help other people and so on, I mean in different ways. Um, do you expect a certain outcome or a result for the participants or for example to give them some insights and some wisdom or... Okay, all right. Th this is really a hard question to answer because mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's so involved, but in the first place, um, I do not come there with the attitude that I'm going to help anybody. Okay, I mean, uh, I'm not a helper. My people see help as a totally different thing than, than you people over here see help as. And uh, if I came over here with the attitude of helping people, then I would have to have a, a negative belief about the people in the first place. Like, for example, that they're weak and worthless, that they can't, and so on. And that's absolutely not my my attitude when I come here. I come here to support the people. And uh, I know that they have all these abilities, all these things inside of them. So my approach comes from that. And so therefore it's kind of a, uh, a, a guiding to get the people to realize these things themselves. And uh, no expected outcome, it's just that uh, a, a real faith in people and a hope that they do it, and um, that, yeah, that they find the honesty and the truth and so on back <laughs> in them, and then I know, I know that this will change their life. And uh, then if they choose not to do it, if they choose not to do it, then I know, and they know now, again, that they are in rebellion. They're in just strict rebelliousness. I know they would be saying that I know I'm, I should do this with my partner or I should do this with my child, but I'm choosing not to. Hmm. Unfortunately, 
when they make that choice, they also don't want to pay the consequences. And that's human. Hmm. But anyway, in this country, you have at least, I know, for sure, catalyzed, inspired, and supported a lot of people's processes, which has led to other improvements in their life and in other fellow human beings' lives. I've heard that. So, <laughs> that's a reward in itself. Yeah. And, you know, um, could you just briefly outline your, your workshops and your courses, your seminars? And what, what are they called? On, and, you know, if you have some a few words to say about them, I think the listeners would welcome it. Uh, the f the first one I do is called Clearing One, mm -hmm. and um, it's a two and a half day group, Friday uh, afternoon and evening, and then uh, all day Saturday and Sunday. And um, in which time the people will put in about you know, 35 hours in these two or three days, the two and a half days, mm -hmm. and um, <clears throat> it's it's really uh, let's call it a an introspection. It's really looking into yourself. It's um, it ought to be a very popular group because all you're going to focus on is your little self. That's what everybody loves to do: is just look at yourself. Mm. And um, but I should say, what a lot of people find out about themselves, you know, they they're not too proud of. But in this in this group is where you have a chance to go back and look at all of the old programs that you programmed yourself with, like a computer, let's say, that you programmed yourself with out of the eyes of a child, with the understanding of a child, about what you say women are like, men are like, marriage is like, family is like, life is like, and yourself, what you're like. And even though you're 20 or 30 or 40 years older now, those old programs that you programmed yourself with, with a great amount of energy, by the way, are still controlling you. And so the group is about going back into very um, specific places in life and looking at those programs and seeing if they really support you in life or whether they're blocking you or hindering you and, and then uh, giving you a chance to, to change those and come back to the, let's say, to the, to the real truth about yourself. And by doing that, creating more mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual health. Hmm. That's basically the basic training. Hmm. With, lot, with lots of tools, lots of practical tools that you can use. And then uh, the second group is clearing two. And that is where we take the things that you've learned in clearing one um, uh, and give you a chance to start bringing them into your life, really start learning how to, to implement them in your life. And then after that, then we do uh, the abundance, mm -hmm. which is uh, about a six-week-long group where, where you take the things that you've learned in clearing one and two, and uh, with the support of the group and so on, you actually start creating the habits daily to, let's say, be more honest with yourself daily, to be more uh, open and honest with your partner, to be more understanding and so on with your children and, and so on. It's just to, to start really bringing 
these things with, you know, you have goals that you, as you said, and so on, to really start changing your habits in your life. That's why it, that's why it takes uh, six, you know, six weeks. And um, from time to time, I do the the prayer talk, which is about based on the um, the Lord's prayer. Um, and then I do an American Indian group uh, once in a while, every few years, called the Journey, which mm -hmm. we where we go out into nature and we. Um, participate out there and we learn um, a lot of the the Indian ways of seeing things and doing things and and uh, once again being in silence out in nature and it's quiet we're not here in the city and going back to our flats at night and having the chance to turn on the television and things like that we're outside so hmm. those are those are the the groups that I do hmm. One thing I learned personally on your groups was never to compromise, never to give away my self-respect, my self-esteem. And I want to use the opportunity to thank you for learning that because this has been of a great benefit to me. And yeah, thank you very much, Art, and good luck. Okay, thank you. And thank you for having me here. And um, I just hope that the audience hears what I've had to say in the, um, in the right spirit. And um, I just want, you know, you and everybody know that I that I do have faith in people and I do love people and that's why I support them and uh, even though uh, once again I see people's weaknesses and I see how once again how schlop we are with ourselves and how much how much more dynamic and creative and and uh, how much 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 more intensity and love we could have in our partnerships our families our life if we would just overcome these fears that we have that block us.